Hello everyone, this is episode 58 of Not Another Teen Wolf podcast. Uh, I was about to say celebrating the uh, celebrating the episode this week, Devoid. I don't know if celebrating is the right term, but we're here and we're going to deal with it, I guess. So... Devoid episode 22 of season 3, so the 10th episode of this arc with two more to go. Uh, Karen and I, hello Karen. Hi. How are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm good. It's less than four weeks till I come to America. Oh my god. (laughs) So excited. Um, Well, we're here and we have our special guest this week is Jack, Jack Faruja, who's one of our Hyperball podcast hosts, is on Glee Chat with me, and he was on Poker Chat, I believe. Is that is it just those two, Jack, or have you done any other shows? No, yeah, it's just those two. Cool. Yeah. Jack is our other Australian contingent on Glee Chat now. He's in Perth, which is the other side of Australia, though we are in a time difference and all of that, very, very far away, but still technically the same southern land how are you today jack uh yeah doing really well thanks cool jack is up very very early uh because the time difference is again like a an, a west to east coast three hour gap and uh it's morning for me and it's super early morning for him so big thank you uh, to, to jack apparently he's used to this for podcasting uh yeah, I... I once i recorded glee chat at like 4 a.m i think it was oh wow oh my god chat. yeah yeah that's insane but uh <laughs> jack is a genius just so everyone knows i have never <coughs> met i don't know if he's going to be like this with every single show he watches with glee at least he's an encyclopedia like you can name a moment and he can tell you what episode it's from what the episode's called he can he just has perfect recollection and i'm just curious to see whether that's uh something that crosses over to literally everything he watches or if it's just glee but either way i'm sure he will be great on this episode for teen wolf seeing as we've all just watched it don't expect it as much from teen wolf i'll admit that i'm just crazy stupid with glee i've never <laughs> seen i've never seen anything like it and john and mitch are like did he just look that up and i'm like no he just knows like he just he just knows and uh it's incredible but but yeah, we will get into this, and then uh, later today, I guess the hundredth uh, episode of Glee is going to come out, which uh, is not relevant to this show, but I think we we know is going to be quite emotional, so we have to prepare ourselves for that later today, I yes. guess. Um, yes. Have fun with that. Yeah, they're pretty much ending the Glee Club. Like that's their plot. That's their ending yeah. plot. They are the hundred is the, it's not like oh it's ending it's getting saved. It is literally ending and then like Sue gonna... wins and they end like, and, and, and that's the end of like the McKinley you know New Directions Glee Club and then it's going to move on to New York and I'm like that's really depressing even though the plot line there has been kind of terrible in, like since the originals left but still whatever that's for Glee Chat which you can probably hear later this week uh, as far as uh, Teen Wolf goes D-Boyd we'll get straight into our favourite quotes of the week uh, and this was a very sort of interesting and intense episode. But, Karen, do you want to start off? 
Sure. Mine's a pretty simple one. It's when Style says chaos has come again. And I just, I really liked it because it was super creepy and kind of poetic. That's a line right out of Othello by Shakespeare. And I wanted to read the actual, like, little part that that's from because I have no idea if this is significant so I just want to see what you guys think but it's when Othello says excellent wretch perdition catch my soul but I do love thee and when I love thee not chaos is come again hmm so he's talking to Desdemona or about her about her I I think yeah and he's basically saying it's all crazy either way, but when he actually gives into their relationship, it's slightly less crazy than when he is trying to be without her. I guess so. And I think it's important to note, too, that Iago is here. And didn't they say Peter is basically the Iago? Yeah, I... Well, is, is that like when he, um, when he, you said he falls into the relationship, he, what was it he falls into the, the relationship and then he gives in? Like, if, is that similar to, like, how when... He was trying to fight the Nagitsune and then he just let the Nagitsune win him over with the whole Malia Tate thing. That could be similar, I guess. Mm. I don't know. I don't know whether that's just meant to be a single pull quote or whether it is significant to the, the bigger picture. But I wouldn't be surprised either way, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, and that's Act 3, Scene 3 for anybody that wants to look into it more. Mm. I don't really know anything about Othello, so I probably won't. But mm. if anyone wants to do the work for us... Go right ahead. <laughs> and then Jack, do you want to go yep, ahead? So, uh, my quote was from Peter Hale. It was when uh, he and Derek were talking about, um, well, Derek was trying to figure out the different plays that uh, Styles slash the Nick Gitsune was trying to do. And um, Peter says, it's not so easy to do when it's a game without rules. And the reason why I love this one is because it is quite a simple quote and quite a simple thing to say. I feel like it really does um, describe what the Nagitsa is really trying to do and the whole sort of aspect of the show right now. Like they're trying to they're trying to play this game by somebody who doesn't care what what they're doing and it's just doing what it wants. And I feel like that it's it's you know. Like, we're trying to figure out what the game is, except the show just throws us in different directions that we don't know what to expect now. So I really like that quote. Mm. Mine was also Peter, but slightly stupider, um, which was basically when they were trying to figure out what to do with Styles uh, once they were over at the, the McCall house. And he says... Scott is going to try and dig through pale and sickly evil styles as mine to unearth pale and sickly real styles. And I don't know why, but I just died. I don't, I don't know why. I, on paper, it's not even that funny, but I don't. I do not know why. I think I've just missed Peter being like slightly more benevolent than he has been recently. And again, this is something I had a lot of conflict in with this episode, and I've got a feeling that some of it just comes from Ian Bowen's face because. Okay, this is going to come up in the the plot of the show, but obviously we've had, you know, this big kind of back and forth about whether Peter is flat out a villain. It seems like Ian Bowen has been told by the production team to accept that his character is actually a bad guy, never like a redemption story, like bad motivation, etc., but then Ian, when Ian Bowen is acting concerned about someone, he looks really concerned about them, yes. guys. I'm like, I'm like, he had the same look on his face about Lydia that he did about, like, Cora at the hospital, and we don't know if, like, he just wanted 
Cora to live so she could find him the the Talia claws or whatever, or if you know he just wanted Lydia to get out of this because he needs her information. But his face and his voice sounds so genuinely panicked, and it might be like coming from a selfish place, but he sounds so concerned. And to me, I've always taken that of oh, you have real feelings inside, but I don't understand if that's meant to be true or not. I don't either. I I really missed him. Like. Yes, exactly. I do. And I really loved him in this episode, too. And then I'm like, wait a second. Are we supposed to? Like, is he just kind of manipulating everybody again? And I think that he is, which really sucks. But I just like when they answered the door or when they opened the door and he was right there and he did that little grin that he does. Like, it's me, (laughs) Peter Hale. I just I started laughing and love him. Miss, I miss that part of him so much. I know, well, and it- I was gonna say what actually happened. Like uh, end of three A, he kills uh, Jennifer and he screams, "I'm always the alpha." I've always and- been like he thinks he's still meant to be the alpha. Yeah, like was that, I thought that was gonna be. I thought that was gonna be an important three B plotline. Except not- unless he was just being nice and was killing the bad guy again, but I don't think that <laughs> that that's it. No, it seemed like it was going to be him trying to figure out a sneaky way to get power, but he hasn't really been attempting that unless it's like a long game. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's been more concerned about this baby thing, which is also really weird, but, um, and I have all sorts of crack theories about this this episode, let me tell you, because, oh, uh, but uh, I don't know, that, that, and it's getting to the point with Peter that a lot of, there's a lot of negativity for him in fandom. Like, it's getting to the point where, like, if you like Peter, like, pe- people are kind of hating on each other for liking Peter, if you know what I mean. They they are like, no, he's unforgivable. If you just say, like, oh, he's so funny and sassy, you know, you're a dick because he's actually really evil. And there's kind of lots of treating him like he's the new kind of, or, or old Gerard. Like, you know how before we've been like, yeah, we like all characters, but if you actually like Gerard, you're kind of messed up. There's yeah. a lot of that going on with Peter now, now now that it's heading more towards the fact that he may be actually irredeemable. And I'm not kind of into that. I, I don't want him to be irredeemable, and I don't understand what we're meant to think at this point, basically. But that line of... Um, that line that I picked, I don't know, just made me laugh and miss him being the kind of annoyed fly buzzing around in the background, like, who was mainly harmless. But, you know, and I think he's great in that role, and I think Ian Bowen was really happy in that role, so I don't know what they're trying to do here, but we'll see. Yeah, I'm not sure either. But let's get right into the episode, because it it was kind of confusing for me, and so I have a lot of questions. But basically, it starts out with Styles in Derek's loft, and everybody sort of comes to try to figure out what's going on with him and take him down, but obviously not hurt him. And Styles is a lot stronger than everybody thinks, and he sort of takes everybody out one by one until the Oni show up. And then the group must protect Styles instead of trying to fight him. And Styles is captured by the Oni and taken to Eichenhaus. Now, was he actually taken to Eichenhaus or did he go there voluntarily? Because I thought it was kind of strange that, like, Mrs. Yukimura showed up there and he was there. And I didn't know, like, if he knew she was going to be there or if she knew he was going to be there. And that's why they were both there at the same time. It was kind of weird. 
Yeah, I didn't really follow that. I kind of more thought that it was... When they get to Eichenhaus, he says that she, Mrs. Yukimura Noshiko called off the Oni. And we don't know whether his, he got drawn with them or whether because he's a Nogitsune and they are part of a Kitsune that they both have the same vanishing power um, and that they both vanished at the same time. You know, independently of each other, but we you'd think we would have seen him do that before now. But I don't know, um, because she seemed a little bit taken aback and it's not like she had any weapons to actually kill him with or anything at Eichenhaus. So I don't know if it was intentional. Yeah, I, I just got the impression that he went there by himself because we've seen him defeat the Oni before and I think he could do it again, definitely. So, and then, so I think he went there knowing that she was going to be there. Yeah, and maybe it was that she called them Oni off rather than have them get killed by Styles because they're going to, you know, if they are her tail spirits, they're going to, if they all get killed, then she might die or whatever. I think that's what we're meant to believe, isn't it? That if yeah. she loses all of her tails, she's going to die. I think so, yes. Yeah. yeah. And they they end up talking about Reese and the kanji that he uses to signify self. And he kept drawing it over and over again. This is the, the bandaged man that we're talking about. And Styles asks her why he kept using that. And she says it's to signify that he died as himself, which well, makes sense. We know that he that the spirit escaped him yeah. and then he died. But does that mean that the bandaged man up until this point has been Reese and not the Nagitsune? Like this part... And even later on, just really confuses me. I don't know. I mean, I... Uh, that's not exactly the impression that I got, but I also got the impression that the whole thing that you mentioned, like the kanji, wasn't Reese. Like, that he was asking Noshiko, like, someone had to put him in that wall, and that marker on the wall, I think, was drawn by whoever put him in the wall, like, in wet cement, as a gravestone, if you know what I mean. And I think it was her. I think she put the symbol there for him. Oh. If that makes sense. That does make a lot more sense. That was my impression of at least, because someone had to brick him up inside the wall. Someone had to give him that grave. And I don't know why they chose to put him there, especially sitting upright in a chair. That's, and you know, she left the sword with him. She left the photo with him. I think she put him there and they maybe her and her werewolf lady friend uh, gave him that grave, drew that symbol in there because they didn't want to say, you know, Corporal Reese, whatever his name is, died 15th of August, you know, 1943. But they just put that symbol there where no one could find him and, you know, that was meant to signify that he had that honour or whatever of dying as himself. But as far as the bandage man goes... I don't know, and it's really weird, you know, whether it's meant to be, whether when we see the bandage man, it's meant to be, he's meant to be in the same position as Styles was, like someone who was trapped, if you know what I mean. Well, does the Nagitsune, I'm guessing the Nagitsune, without having a physical form, I guess you could say, is meant to look like a fox, because if not, it reminds me a lot of a boggart, where it's different to each person, it hasn't got a specific, um, like, representation. Yeah, I mean, we don't really... That's kind of what Peter implies later, that, like, a fox spirit can choose to become human. But they they keep saying become human, like it it formed itself, and it didn't. It possessed a body, as opposed to 
say, Noshiko, who is a person, you know, who, and Kira, who is a person, Kira was born as she is, she didn't, you know, Noshiko may have decided to possess a young girl and just take her over for the rest of her 900 years or whatever, but Kira at least was born into a body that is a kitsune. So I don't really understand the difference, again, between becoming a human and just being a human kitsune. I, this is something that's very unclear to me, and I don't don't really know what's going on. Um, yeah, like it's very similar to getting bitten by a werewolf and then being born as a werewolf. We still yeah. don't know too much about is, that. Yeah, like, is it like the end result the same exactly or, or what? Because I don't yeah, like, understand. Yeah, yeah. Like, are you born as a kitsune, or does a kitsune spirit, yeah, possess you? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, or is is it like, no, no, Shiko had a baby, and because she's a kitsune, like, the baby is, like, human, and automatically they're like, hey, some kitsune spirit want to come possess my child? Like, so it could be (laughs) kitsune spirit. I don't know. Was Kira a kitsune before the Nebaton got um, reborn, and then they came back to Bergen Hills? Like, I don't know. Well, she she didn't exhibit any powers, but we don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it, she started being one. Talking about Reese, this is something that we actually forgot to kind of touch on in his episode. The way that Noshiko said his name in this reminded me more of it. I'm very confused because some of MTV's official press keeps spelling his name Reese, like a first name, the Welsh spelling of R-H-Y-S. And then some people pronounce it, and when Arden Cho tweeted a picture of it, she was spelling it, R-E-Y-E-S, and that's more like how Noshiko said it in this episode, like Rees, which is the same spelling as Erica's last name, and if he was in the army, he would pretty much be known by his last name to everyone. And so people have been like, is there some sort of weird Erica connection there, or did did they done goof and give him the same name accidentally? Do you think, what do you think his name is meant to be, Karen, at this moment? It could be Reese Reyes. I don't. I don't know because that's like a Spanish last name. Reyes, like R E Y E S. See that? Like that's like like Ray Reyes to me. That's, like that's it's how Erica's. That's how Erica's last name was spelt though. Erica Reyes, and it was R E Y E S. Oh, is that how it's pronounced? Because yeah. that's never how I pronounced it in my head. I don't yeah. know. They've said it, yeah, they've said it a bunch of times. And yeah, Erica Rees. And that's uh, how that's they've seen him spelled it a few times. And it's, anyway, we, we don't know. But uh, I doubt that's actually going to be a plot that comes up. But it would be interesting if it did. Maybe it's easier because you know how sometimes Jeff will say like, oh, we can't give them last names for legal reasons. Like yeah. maybe they just decided to duplicate it because that legally it would be easier. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Uh, we'll, I, we shall see if that becomes a thing. It's certainly something people have talked about and I don't know how it would uh, end up having been important to Erica seeing as she's quite dead, but you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, But going back to kind of what we were talking about before and how we're not sure if there's a difference between like being born a kitsune or being possessed, that sort of thing. Something else that Mrs. Yukimura also says is uh, she's talking about Reese and she says he wasn't a monster, not like you. Well, what does that mean exactly? Does that mean that whatever's inside of Styles is different? I mean, she clearly calls him a nagitsune. So, are there different types of Nagitsunes? Well, I don't know. I I mean, I think she was talking about Reese 
as himself versus Styles as a Nagitsune. Um, or maybe- but that's almost, like, not fair because, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because, like, Styles as himself is obviously not a monster. Or it could be that the Nagitsune only has the power and capacity of the, the mental capacity of the person that they're in. And because Reese was not only a better and simpler person, but also out of his mind mad with pain being burnt down to a crisp, maybe his instincts as a Nagitsune were more base, if you know what I mean. They weren't as calculating and, you know, it, yes, it was destructive, but it was like, oh, my God, I'm running around in pain, knocking people over, dead. But, you know, you, you know what I mean? Like, it was less... Uh, Calculated? Yeah, and because Styles has an immense capacity for uh, manipulation and all of that kind of thing, that that basically the Nagitsune's capacity in, in Styles is a lot wider than it is in Reese. Isn't it going to suck, though, if she thinks that he's in a Nagitsune... Oh, no, that wouldn't make sense. No, I was going to say, wouldn't it suck if... if she thinks he's the Nagitsune that was born from Reese and all that, except that Nagitsune is in somebody else, like in Beacon Hills at the moment, and this is a different Nagitsune inside Styles, but then I realised that doesn't make no sense at all because of the bandaged man. So. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, people do think that there might be another one at play, like kind Cough, of being... Alison, Cough. Oh, I don't... Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's so weird. The Alison thing is... I, I'm going to feel so bad at the end of the season if she's so novel. Because, oh my God, it seems so weird. And I don't know, I can't deal with it. But anyway, yeah, I, I don't know. The, the I don't know what she meant in comparison to Reese, or if she thinks that, like, Styles is a worse person than Reese, which, at the end of the day, in black and white terms, on paper, probably true, actually, but you know, what can you do uh, at this point? Yeah. Yeah, Styles. I don't know. It's I, – I didn't really know why she was trying to compare to Reese in terms of, like, his real dead self, but I don't know. Well, just probably have to wait and see what, you know, is going to happen in the next two episodes. Maybe what the twist is will kind of – explain it. I have a feeling we're all going to be going back and just watching this whole half of the season again going oh that's what that meant once we finally get to the final episode mm. but you know Styles takes the the knife that she has with her and stabs himself and flies escape out of the wound and I've seen a lot of people talking about the gross factor for this episode there was a lot of flies going into wounds and stuff like that what did you guys think did that bother you it wasn't great the worst was it going under Derek's cut skin that was not pleasant yeah even though it looked super fake and dumb but it wasn't great See, I can, I can handle, like, in last episode, you know, people's heads getting ripped off and yeah. limbs flying everywhere, but I can't I can't handle seeing things go into people's bodies. I don't know what it is. Like, <laughs> I'm, I, hate, I'm... I hate seeing needles. I hate seeing flies go into wounds. When we talked about phobias, I actually left something out that I've sort of just remembered because I think I oppress it too much when we did this in another episode. One of my biggest – it depends because I don't know what it is to experience a phobia like – what Karen has for birds or whatever, because it's not like a panicked fear, but I have a sickly disgust and horrification. Like if I found out they were in my body, I probably couldn't live with myself for any kind of parasites, like for maggots, for worms, you know, internal worms, like any, I mean, I don't think anyone really likes them, but they really mess with me. So I, I didn't like the idea of 
flies laying maggots in Derek's wound, certainly. Do you guys ever read the, the um, books Animorphs? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like the Yerks, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, the Yerks. Yeah, none of that. None of that. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, I'm really not into parasites, so I did not like that at all. But, yeah, it wasn't the grossest thing I have ever seen, but it wasn't very pleasant. No. Yeah, I'm pretty much in the same boat. It was gross seeing it go into wounds, but really on, you know, the overall scale, it really wasn't too bad. Um, But in the next scene, we get something that I did like quite a bit, and this was Kira going over to Scott's house. Basically, Scott lets her stay, and it's because she doesn't trust her parents. She doesn't want to go home, and I actually really liked this. I don't know how much we've seen this happen before in the past, like on other television shows where... Obviously, like, the parents know the big secret and the child finds out and they kind of just explain it away. Well, like, I did this to protect you and everyone kind of you gets over it. with it, kind of. Yeah, I like the fact that Kira was like, look, I can't even look at my mom in the eyes right now. She's 900 freaking years old. How am I supposed to process this? And so maybe not the best thing to, like kind of push it off, but I can totally understand why she's doing that. And I like that they went down that road with her. And this is just the first day, right? This is the continuation of their conversation yeah, in I the school. I think so, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't blame Kira for acting that way as well, because to be honest, the way her mum was describing everything to her was kind of... I don't want to say she's a bad parent by any means, but it was kind of rude. Like, when uh, her mum said... Um, you know, she kind of yells at her and says, don't you understand how clear it is now? Like, almost like she was expecting Kira to know straight away when after she like, was no, no. When by she was like, isn't it obvious? The entire family was like, no, yeah. no, it's yeah. not obvious to anyone at all. What? <laughs> like, That's what I mean. She expects yeah. her to know. And I'm like, why do you expect your child to know all this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't blame Kira for, for I mean, being very skeptical and very untrusting of her, of her parents right and now. I think her mother is very angry at herself. I think a big part yes, of Noshiko being very angry at herself. But yeah, it was not the best. <laughs> <laughs> well, what did you guys think about the Scott and Kira kiss? Because I, for one, really loved it. I love what they're doing with the relationship between those two because Allison and Scott were like right from the start hot and heavy and it went really fast and this they just kissed and she rolled over and the two of them fell asleep and it was just really nice to see them slow things down especially considering everything that's going on i think it would have been weird to put like a sex scene or something (laughs) really romantic right in the middle of everything was this i think oh sorry go on so I was going to say, I think the Kira's the type of girl that Scott needs. Somebody that will just is sort of a bit more calmer and cooler than Allison. Whereas Allison, you know, uses her like sexual bowling energy to, to anchor Scott down. Whereas Kira is just, you know, very relaxed. And he, she keeps Scott calm, which is what he needs right now when he's being an alpha. Yeah, I mean, is this actually the first kiss that they've actually had? Because I think they've had a few yes. close close calls, but I kept being like, is this actually the first time? Because I feel like there was that one time when she was, like, stroking his wolf face and then at the rave <laughs> and all of that kind of stuff. Like, I feel like there's been all these times where they kissed that I didn't remember, but apparently this is the first time. And, yeah, I mean, it was very sort of demure and almost, like, comforting. Like, she asked him to 
come be in the bed with her, not out of like, yeah, so we can have sex, but just sort of out of like comfort, com- comfort and to express that she does sort of feel that way about him. But I don't know. I, I liked it. It was, it was cute. I don't know if it means there'll be more. Like it could, it could have also been like, oh yeah, we tried that and that kind of wasn't a thing. But I think that it was just nice and yeah, very true to who Kira seems to be, as opposed to yeah, Alison being like femme fatale, as you mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree a hundred percent. And speaking of Alison, she removed the firing pin from Chris's gun. Do we think this is shady? Well, I got... Yes, kind of. I got really confused with this entire situation because my big question for the whole first scene was in the last episode when that gang, like that, you know, Team Angel was having their little conference about uh, how to go after Styles, and they were like, he just wants a trick. You know, we have to come up with a new punchline. I thought they were going to go in there and do something that, you know, stage something that was manipulative to him, if you know what I mean. Like, what was the new punchline that they've apparently come up with? And they basically, when Chris has his gun on Styles, and then the only come and he goes to shoot at them and it doesn't work and he kind of looks at it and sort of shakes it and then pulls out a different one. For a minute, I thought that his own gun, like that his gun had been unloaded by him that the entire situation with Styles and Sheriff was a setup, if you know what I mean, like that they thought that they were, you know, tricking him in some way, that it was a setup, and then Chris was like, oh yeah, this is the unloaded gun we were using for the trick, I need to pull out my real gun. But then later you have Allison being like, Allison asking, what have you really shot Styles?" And he says, I don't know. She says, I took the, the pin out of the gun, so, you know, just in case you thought you could shoot Styles." And uh, and she, he was like, good on you. That's why the women are the leaders in the family. And I'm like, okay, no, it wasn't Chris. It was Alison. And that's the question. Is that a genuine move of Alison's in terms of, oh, she wanted to protect Styles, Or is it evil Alison wanting to protect her evil cohort? I mean, I, probably, I don't even know if I would have picked up on a lot of this stuff without listening to you girls on the podcast. I think you put me in a completely different mindset on what not to think about Alison. I have no idea. It's really hard because... Most of the time, I mean, all of the time, really, she's so genuine and you want to believe her. I mean, we've known Allison for so long, but then you look at sort of the overall scheme and we're all expecting to be tricked. And so we kind of pick everything apart. And I think that those little things that keep adding up, pointing to Allison, are just so hard to ignore. Yeah, I mean, do you think that maybe like Kate? When she was hallucinating about Kate, maybe Kate sort of like not possessed her because she is dead and that was all Nematon doing it all. But Kate could still be having some sort of influence on her and making her crazy, maybe. I don't know. That would be interesting. And where is Gerard? Like, sorry, but where the hell yeah. is he? Like, Hopefully is he just dead. still in his nursing home? Like, because, ew. Like, <laughs> I don't understand what's going on there or why or why that's just been dropped. Like, everyone, I think one of the, like, one of the sort of points for this episode, one of the synopses was that someone returns. Uh, you know, it seems to have been implied that it was Peter. What, what, what it said something about so- someone returning or, or helping or something that was meant to be someone who'd been gone for a long time. And apparently this is meant to be Peter, and I don't feel like he's been gone for a long time. I feel like he's been there in the background, like, as opposed to someone like, 
Gerard or Ducalian who were suspected, people were suspecting would come around for some reason. Yeah, those are definitely the two that I thought, like, one of them was going to come back. And honestly, that, that scene that I was talking about where they open the door and Peter is there, like, I... You wanted it to be Jekyllian? Yes, I thought it was going to be him. Like, I was so sure. And then it was Peter, and I was like, okay, well, that's still fine. But yeah, but Peter is a character in the show. He's not, like, a long-lost character, you know? Like, he's there. I don't know... He's yeah, been... especially since we saw him not that long ago because of the whole thing with, like, Lydia and Allison and him and the uh, memory that yeah. Talia took. Yeah, I mean, that was – it might have been a few episodes, but it was – again, it's – he's not, like – he's not one of the main five cast members. He's Unless... one. Of, he's one of the Beacon Hills cast members that's there every few episodes. Like, it's yeah. – Do you think the long-lost character is real Styles? Ooh, maybe. Ooh. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. This is horrible. Yeah, yeah. Well, what, okay. What was, um, like, the big... Like, I remember reading something on one of the Hyperbole posts where it said that the show was never going to be the same after this episode. And I don't feel that way after the end of this episode. Yeah, I've like, seen people... Either. I've seen people being like, oh, my God, this was so big. This is such... And I... I it's not that I didn't like the episode, I really did, and I think that uh, Christian Taylor, who directed it, I think he has to stay a main player with Teen Wolf. He directed this one, Jeff wrote it, and the combo worked very well, it seems. I think his last episode, Riddled, he wrote, and that was one of the best ones of this season, and then he directed this one and Jeff wrote it, and that was one of the best ones of this season. So Christian Taylor's got got to stay. He's got to he's got to stay a bigger part of this, I think. Yeah, but regardless of it being very good, I didn't feel it was like some sort of like I even saw Brooke, uh, who's you know one of our team. It just I, I didn't read through our little uh, group chat because I hadn't seen the episode yet. You know, I, I watched it later than the other girls in America. But I sort of as I was going past, she was like, I don't think that they jumped the shark. But if people have been talking about them having potentially jumped the shark with this episode. I don't really get that. Like, I don't really get – it's not that it wasn't good, but I don't get why it was that big a deal compared to – like, like what, or, or if it was that big a twist or plot line or, or anything. It's not like, oh, my God, they suddenly threw something in that's super crazy unexpected. That's the, only thing, the only thing that I can think of is the fact that Lydia and Scott have now been inside of Styles' head – and I wonder if that's going to create more of a connection between the three of them. And maybe, like, I mean, at this point, I don't think we can really speculate what that means exactly. But perhaps that's a way for them to go in a different direction or have their relationship between the three of them solidify more. Maybe they're, like, able to communicate telepathically or something. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Maybe, like, if Allison is the one that is ex- not expected expected to die, but a lot of people think she would die at yeah. the end of this season. Maybe, like, if they're rela- the Lydia Scott and Styles is their relationship is bigger, maybe it would not be a ride that Allison dies, but there's another lead girl in the group. I don't know. Yeah, potentially. And, I mean, you do, I guess that's a good point about the going into Styles' head as, like, a total weird thing, but it, maybe it just says something about what I expect from this show, but I did not find that that weird. Like, <laughs> Me either. Like, <laughs> like, I did not, I wasn't like, oh my god, this is like 
it's not like uh, I'm trying to think of ex- it's it's not like you know episodes in say Buffy like normal again or you know that one where she goes back and sees the first slayer it, it didn't or the one with the man with the cheese it didn't feel like to me like a crazy like oh my god my head's spinning this is so not a usual episode of this show like it it felt totally acceptable and normal within what I would believe from the this world that we're in, if you know what I mean. Seeing as we know that they can do the claw thing. The only thing that again that mildly surprised me that I didn't I wasn't really thinking about uh werewolves being able to do that in people who aren't werewolves, if you know what I mean. I thought that was a werewolf to werewolf experience and maybe that someone who wasn't a werewolf wouldn't necessarily survive it because it needed the healing and stuff like that. Like the claw neck stabbing, I mean. So uh, if Lydia can survive the claw neck stabbing, again, I don't know if it's because she's vaguely supernatural or if it's because that's something you can actually do to anyone. And if you can actually do that to anyone, then that does present a bit of a creepy uh, interrogation technique, I guess, for, yeah. <laughs> for future. But, you know. Now, Peter was a pretty big part of this episode in a lot of different ways. And one of the ways was his discussion with Derek about the chessboard. And we basically don't get a whole lot out of this scene, but we do learn that Peter at least believes that the Nagitsune is playing with no rules. And I think we kind of knew that for a while. Like, he's out just to cause chaos. I don't think he really necessarily has an endgame. He's just trying to, like destroy as much as he can while he's still here. But the main thing that I wanted to talk about was what happened on Wolf Watch, because Ian Bowen and Tyler Hecklin were on this week's episode of Wolf Wolf Watch, and uh-huh. Ian basically says that Peter is a genius. Like, he has an IQ of, like, 190. He's super smart. He manipulates everybody. And I just, I feel like this scene for Peter and his characterization was significant somehow. Yeah, I felt like there was something I was missing there with Peter, honestly. Um, Like that he was giving some hint that we should know. I don't know what it was, but yeah. I I mean, I was a bit caught up in Derek being super caught up in the chess thing. Like he was like, why am I styled as king? Why? (laughs) I need to know. (laughs) And Derek, again, with the chess, I mean, Peter even says it. He says chess is styles' game. It's not that it gets an A's. Where, you know, he seems to realize that whatever was going on with the chessboard was Styles uh, himself, whether that was, uh, uh, you know, the original chessboard with his dad pre Nagitsune, or whether it was Styles sending a message from within Nagitsune. But I don't know, Der- I-, I wanted to know why Derek was so hung up on the chessboard. Like, I don't know if it was just that he thought it was a piece of the puzzle that he, you know, but he didn't realize the whole story. But I'd like to know how. Peter knows, and uh, what, yeah, it, it felt like what he was saying about the chess was some sort of clue, but I don't know what, obviously. And the last part of this, before we get into basically where everything goes super crazy, is that Lydia hears GPS instructions that aren't there, so that's always creepy, and they find Styles' wounded body. Now, I don't know if it necessarily matters, because we don't know a whole lot about how her powers work yet, but a lot of the times, Lydia is 
directed toward dead bodies. She's found a bunch of dead bodies and kind of like helped other people find the dead bodies. But Styles, as far as we know, is not dead unless you think my genius theory about him being dead since his Jeep crashed into the tree is true. Um, <laughs> but do you like did you guys find that strange at all that she found him using her supernatural abilities, but he's obviously not dead? I think that they sort of have implied that it's she gets the feeling when someone is going to die or whatever, and that Styles was in, you know, a serious amount of trouble. I had to watch that entire thing twice, as in, like, the first time I didn't get the whole thing with the GPS, if you know what I mean. The first time I watched it, I don't know how much attention I was paying, but I was when he was like, the GPS hadn't been working, I forgot that she'd been paying attention to GPS instructions, if you know what I mean. And then the second time I watched it, I was like, oh, so she thinks she's hearing GPS, but it is actually the voices. And that's interesting to me that, like, that they would take, that they would just sort of appear to her in different ways as opposed to it always sounds like a certain thing, you know, but sometimes it might just be like... Uh, you know, like a billboard changing its words to say right. dead body yeah. this way yeah. or something. Like, <laughs> well, you know. That, <laughs> that's what I like about this show, though, how it takes such, like, old, like olden mythology and really incorporates it into a new modern setting. Yeah, and it's just, it would, I mean, it's got to be annoying for her, I guess, to have, be like, oh, don't know what's real, don't know what's a voice. It, not yeah. just like, oh, I'm hearing someone talking, but like, oh... I mean, well, at least she's not. At least she's not trying to avoid it anymore. Like, what I was going to say earlier is how when, like, Styles wasn't dying. Well, hmm. we didn't know if Styles was dying or not when he was getting the brain scans done to see if he um was sick. But yeah. she was still hearing the clanging of the machine, hmm. and he and he unless he like is dead. But we don't. He, he we're not meant to believe that he was dead then. So I, I don't know what. Maybe yeah. When she does get the feeling that some someone's gonna die or someone is in a lot of trouble, I'm not too sure because we still don't know too much about it. Which is why I'm excited for season four if we get a lot more Lydia because Lydia is my favorite character and I need to know more. Yeah, and uh, I mean we had that whole uh, situation I guess when she got out of the car when they got out of the car that. Aiden was the last of the four werewolves, the four beta werewolves, to be infected with one of the Nagitsune flies. And at first I was expecting that whole fly infection thing to mean that those people were going to become, like, his minion slaves, if you know what I mean? Like, that they were going to do stuff for the Nagitsune in terms of actually, you know, being compliant. But that ended up kind of being more like it was just basically giving them this chaotic, impulsive behavior that wasn't necessarily like, for example, Oliver in Eichenhaus, like doing stuff for the Nagitsune. It was more just, it was actually people, you know, they were, you know, Isaac and all of that. They were actually being like against the, you know, technical bad guys and stuff, but it was this crazy kind of, I'm going to do the craziest, most impulsive stuff to make things more chaotic in the way that the Nagitsune wants, basically. Like, so that's that's fun. The fly possession. I I, I yeah. enjoyed that a lot, or not. That that reminds me. Like, we we don't know what happened to the flies when they flew out of uh, Barrow's body. Mm. Do you think that maybe the like a few of those flies have gone around Beacon Hills and possessed other people, 
And now you've got me hooked on Allison again. Maybe one of those flies yeah. with Allison. I mean, we still don't know the deal with Barrow. Like, whether, because, whether his stuff, whether his uh, original murder was influenced by the Nigitsune, he was in Eichenhaus, whether he was, you know, being, having, or whether the stuff that he did, the second murder, was only since the Nigitsune has been out or anything like that. We We do not know how long his sort of, say timeline is compared to how long the Nagitsune spirit has been free. I was under the impression that it was, you know, he predated that, but then it would seem like that the Nagitsune spirit hadn't been active between the time Noshiko buried it and the Nematon unearthed it. And they keep mentioning him as well. It's not like we're meant to forget about him. They keep talking about him. So I don't know. I really don't want him to be dead. You're so weird. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> um, well, since we'll we're talking Aaron, a special spin-off of all the mass murderers, like huh? Matt, Matt and William Barrow, and who else <laughs> like some mass murderer, Karen? Oh, that would be kind of awesome. <laughs> you're the first person I've ever met. No, that's such oh. a lie, you're not at all, but it's... <laughs> but lol, you're the... <laughs> she loves... I really... I was just going to say, I'm really contradictory. <laughs> and Jennifer, she can come too. Oh, yeah. Cool. Mass murderers show for Karen. We'll get on it. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. Okay. So basically, uh, yeah, like we were talking about, all the flies possess all these different people, and they're all under the influence of the Nigitsune. And so we're going to kind of break it up into the different groups that are going on right now, and then yep. we'll get into, like, the big part later on that really brings us to the end of the episode. But first up, we have Ethan and Aiden. And I thought this was interesting because they're against each other here. Basically, Ethan resents his brother for being a psychopath, which is pretty accurate. And Aiden resents his brother for being too passive. And so, what did you guys think? Like, did you actually care that they were fighting, or were you hoping that they would, like, end up killing each other? I care about um, Ethan, I think. I think I believe him. I think if this is, like, if this way that they're acting with each other is the influence of, well, the fly things making them kind of unrestrained and impulsive, I have no reason not to believe what Ethan is saying, if you know what I mean. And I think that he is somewhat of a victim of circumstance in terms of having to use his power in the only way that had seemed, uh, you know, w- you know, able to keep him alive and stuff and killing people and Jacalian and all of that, whatever, you know, having this extra power with Aiden and being like, well, I guess that's the only way I've got to use it. Uh, but I think that he is uh, pretty chill internally. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Are we meant to believe that the flies are sort of making people say and making people do what they kind of don't say that they want to say and do? Like, for example, yeah. like, does Ethan, like, always want to have sex with Danny but never says it sort of thing? <laughs> I, yeah, there was a lot of sex going on there. I think I think that it is – I think that, it, yeah, it's very – it's meant to be, like, impulsive, I think, with – Like, no filter. Like, almost yeah. like when you're drunk, like, you don't filter what you're going to say. I think that we'll get to it with Derek, but I think with him it was very regressive, almost. It was like, I don't think that he goes around every day feeling like that all day, every day. Um, you know, he, he might, you know, he might be like, oh, I'm still bummed about this, obviously, but, you know, 
he's not actively yeah. making those plans every day, but you know, some part of his subconscious might have entertained it and uh or like Yeah, maybe, maybe like the flies are taking like the worst or most inappropriate like thoughts or maybe the flies slash the gets are making them do stuff that Yeah, being like, Oh yeah, this is what you know that this is what'll piss them deserve off. That. Yeah. Like, doesn't it yeah, yeah. yeah kind of thing i don't know it's it definitely is like a like yeah sort of a, a bad influence like bad impulsive influence but aiden and ethan i don't know aiden i just noticed the twins didn't seem that changed compared to isaac and Derek. i don't <laughs> know if it's just because we don't know them as well but like they didn't seem like creepily changed they just seemed like a bit angrier at each other yeah, I mean, they're always so aggressive anyway that when we see it in the other characters, I think it's super noticeable, but in them, it's really like, well, this, you know, we've kind of seen this before. Yeah, that's probably bad, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> but speaking of Isaac, he does show up, and he wants to kill the twins because of Erica and Boyd. And I know everybody was really worried about entering into... Uh, the season and wondering how they were going to deal with that sort of stuff. And the thing is that a lot of people were worried they were going to kind of push it under the rug and forget about it. But I like that they keep bringing it up. And I like how Allison said, I thought we were going to give them a second chance. And they're not, you know, burying the hatchet. They are kind of keeping it at the forefront. And I think just in terms of like writing and storytelling and making sure that even the characters that have passed on kind of still get to shine a little bit because a lot of people loved Erica and Boyd that, you know, it's really great that they're still doing that. Mm. And I think that's a, t a testament to the show and how great their continuity is as well. Like right, we, we have never forgotten about Jackson because they always mention him and he was such a huge player. That's yeah. what I love about the show. How it's such great continuity. Yeah. Especially when his venom keeps popping up. Every oh, yeah. Can I just, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, well, I'm sure we'll get to the point in terms of uh, Styles and his whole plotline in terms of what they do to him in in the house. Uh, but before they bring in Peter, like at this point, while Ethan and Aiden are fighting in the school, um, they've taken him back to obviously the McCall's house when Lydia found him on the ground and Deaton, basically Deaton. Someone messaged me, I think it was Akio Nadine, she messaged me on Twitter being like, I could hear Natalie Fisher sigh all the way to Europe the minute Deaton appeared on screen in this episode. That's really <laughs> accurate because he did nothing. He did nothing at all. He he gave Styles Canham a venom, which I'm sorry, by this point, Scott and Melissa should have like a set of little herbs and spices to use in their <laughs> house on things. If they've got the mountain ash, if they've got all of that, they don't need Deaton for that. They, you know, he just keeps it all to himself so he can appear helpful. It's like, he, you know, he's not he's not actually helping them. He provided no solution whatsoever besides the Canima Venom and a bit of gaffer tape. Like, that is all he's good for. After listening to, to the, the, the podcast last week, you guys, someone, someone mentioned something about um, if Danny becomes Scott's emissary, mm. he would do a lot better job than Deaton ever has, I think. Yes. If, if Danny actually starts to... Because I think if, if Danny was to learn about the supernatural world, he seems like the type of person that would want to research everything and just know everything about what everything does, and he would actually want to help. So basically we have, yeah, Isaac comes in, tries to kill the twins, but then Allison and Kira 
team up and they fight them together. And I'm so in love with this. I think the two of them together is so awesome for so many different reasons. But what did you guys think of their scene? What I really noticed, first of all, was whether they both came there separately, you know, whether Allison tracked Isaac there and Scott sent Kira there or whatever, or whether they, like, planned to go there together. But regardless, that they were kind of like, if this was any other show and these were the two love interests of the main character, they would be, like, fighting while exchanging, like, snarky quips about Scott, if you know what I mean. Like, the thing that really, like, this isn't actually exactly the same but the thing that reminds me of actually the um episode i think in season two of doctor who where rose meets sarah jane and they're kind of doing that this competitive thing with each other about um their sort of times traveling with the doctor and that is that it's in itself is a spoof of the way that you see girls who both have a history with the same guy sort of bicker over him while they're trying to work as allies and I guess at this point we don't really know if Allison knows like everything about Scott and Kira anyway, but I think she has seen them together. You know, she saw them holding hands and they had that little nod and all of that kind of thing. So, you know, I kind of liked that it was just like, yep, yeah, cool, good girls, yay, let's go, and not like making it around, you know, bickering about, you know, oh, good job hitting him with the sword, Allison. By the way, I kissed Scott, you know, kind of thing. Like, it's so nice not to have that. Yeah, I agree. And I think just the fact that the two of them are working together and they're just totally fine with everything, but also the way that they were trading weapons and it was two girls against three werewolves. And it was just, it was awesome on so many levels. And now I really, I want this to continue. And I'm one of the people that is not so sure Allison's going to make it out of the season alive. And I'm really worried because I really want Kira to be able to fight side by side with another girl and them to just kick ass like they were here. It was so great to see it. Yeah. And what I liked about this episode as well is that there's a lot of characters interacting who like haven't really before or don't do it as much. Like for example, Allison and Kira and then Scott and Lydia, but it wasn't like out of the ordinary. It was just, you know, they're all part of a pack and they're all going to work together. And yeah. it was great. That's what I mean as well, like, with what we were speaking about earlier, about whether this episode was that different. There were aspects of it that were totally different, but it didn't feel like, hey, look at how different this is. Look at how unusual we're being. Like, it just, I think it says something about the writing of the show and the development of the various characters that you can create new situations without them feeling like it's totally weird if you know what I mean, like that we believe definitely the, you know, relationship off screen or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I 100% agree. And I think we get a lot of that in the next part, too, where Derek and Chris are together. Not that they haven't been together. I mean, obviously, they spent tons of time in jail together. So it's, like you said, not out of the ordinary. But they're also not two characters that have a history of being together for longer periods of time. And when it is, it's sort of like... I'm going to break your window and then I'm going to do this to you. And it's a lot of back and forth. But here we got actually kind of a very personal scene because Derek obviously goes to Chris and tries to light him on fire because of what Chris's sister, Kate Argent, did to his family. And I loved this scene because, for one, Derek 
went a little crazy. And I know we always talk about Dylan's acting, but Hecklin here, Hecklin was freaking scary. And it was oh my so God. awesome. I had not watched the episode yet. I One of these girls, it, was, it would have been either Courtney or Brooke, I'm sure, tweets, so nice to see Derek smiling and laughing in this episode. And I was like, <laughs> oh, that's not going to be good. I was like, oh... Because I don't trust them, you know, as far you know, as far as to believe that it would be a happy smiling and laughing. <laughs> um, you know. But oh my god, Chris freaking loves Derek. He loves he Derek. When oh he opens god. the door and he's like, Derek, you're like his face again, I don't know if this is just J.R. Bourne's face being really concerned at all times, rather than like you know, th- that's just his default eye emotion. But, oh, my God, when he opened the door on Derek and saw Derek look slightly, like, you know, perplexed, uh, he was – his concern was so deep. And then later, like, when stuff continues, like, oh, my God, he's, like, nearly crying about, like, having to maybe kill Derek. And it's just, like, I'm, I can't – deal with how much Chris loves Derek. It's so weird. When did this happen? I can't either. I don't know. In jail, maybe? I'm not sure, Look, but I love it. What happens in prison stays in prison. Um, <laughs> oh, <God>. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. They had a couple of beers and so where it went. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, my God. He loves Derek, and I don't, you know, it's so weird. I mean, it's amazing. Like, but I'm like, is this his, like, new adopted son or something? Like, is this, I don't think Allison's going to be down with this because she apparently still doesn't like Derek very much, but Chris freaking loves Derek, and I can't get over it. It's so good. I don't know. I think Chris Archer yeah, is a, I think he is a very soft and demure person. I think that he's been in the circumstance of having to be a hunter and all of that stuff, and, you know, he does it. But I, I don't think that his personality is as harsh as he was sort of blustering to be in the first couple of seasons. You know, I think that he is a big softy. And I think as he gets to know Derek and other werewolves more, it's just going to keep going in that direction. So this is something that I would really like to see continue as well. Yeah. But something else that really surprised me was that McCall, Agent McCall, saves Sheriff Stalinsky's job. Mm, I... I kind of wasn't, I mean, it was a little bit surprising. I was kind of, when he got up to say something, I was like, yeah, given all your, like, weird apologies and, like, you know, thank yous over the last couple of episodes, I think that something is, uh, you know, I think that he's going to be like, no, I've realised that even though this is has a really bad history um, of unsolved cases, I've seen the circumstances and I totally get why this is a weird situation. I kind of vibed that was going to happen, that they had some sort of truce going on and that they're trying to make Agent McCall slightly more sympathetic than we were for him at the beginning. And I don't know if I'm here for that, but I did kind of vibe that that was where it was going. I am very confused about what the hell this situation is that, is going on between Sheriff Stalinsky, McCall, Stiles, and Melissa, that they all know this thing that Scott doesn't know. And um, I have the crackiest theories about it because apparently I'm insane. But, yeah, what what are people's thoughts yeah. so far? 
Well, let's set this up first because we're not going to be able to talk about it kind of when it happens because there's a lot of other things going on. So I definitely want to talk about this now because basically previously Styles, when he confronted Agent McCall, made it sound like whatever this big secret was, it was McCall's fault. And even when McCall was dying and he felt like he needed to tell Scott it, it sounded like it was going to be a confession, but then we get the Nagitsune talking about it like it's Melissa's fault or that something she did was something that Scott would be angry about. So what I am even more confused about what it could possibly be. All right. Yeah, so Let I... me reel you off my theories. Okay. Because I am insane, apparently. Yeah, because they've definitely made it sound like it was McCall's fault, and then Nagitsune is messing, saying, you know, just messing with Melissa, I think. But that being said, it could be something that is potentially both of their faults, like they decided something else, or it could be that he thinks that, you know, Scott would be angry at Melissa for being, you know, for putting up with being a victim. But but I don't know. Um, Basically, my ideas were... Very tied into the whole Peter Malia potential child thing. Like I, I just feel like that that those random plot lines aren't unconnected. If you know what I mean. I was like, is it actually that Peter is Scott's father and not McCall? You know, like that's the baby. The baby is Scott. If you know what I mean. Or is and that you know, or is it that the child is Melissa and Peter's child and not. Um, you know, and that that, that 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 was Malia. Or was it that M- Melissa cheated on McCall with Sheriff Stalinsky and had an abortion or something like that? And then I was like, I, I was like, none of this makes sense. And I don't think Sheriff would, and I, I'm assuming this is in between the time that the Sheriff's wife died and that, you know, McCall left. So I'm like, no, clearly it, it's not, it's not going to be Malia being Peter and Melissa's child. She's nearly the same age as Scott, and I think people would have noticed that. And, and Styles had to be old enough to understand what was going on, if you know what I mean. Then I was like, is, are they mad? You know, is is it that they did something that Melissa was the victim of and then Nagitsune is just being a bag of dicks and saying that Scott will hate her for, you know, say, say McCall cheated on Melissa and then Melissa put up with it, if you know what I mean, that she didn't kick him out, or he beat her and she put up with it and didn't kick him out, and that Scott would find her weak and hateful for for doing that, you know. I don't know, like, but for some reason I can't get it out of my head that this baby story is connected. See, I think that it probably could be connected, but... Maybe she got rid of the baby or something. Maybe she was complicit in, like, the, you know, it wasn't their child, but, like, that they, you know she was involved in hiding the baby or something. But, but say, in my opinion, like, when we start getting into all of that, it sort of starts to get a bit too soap opera which I don't think the show is too much. Mm. Um, what, what I think, though, is, I mean, <laughs> I don't want to think, I don't want this to be true, but I wouldn't be surprised if McCall beat Melissa and then Melissa put up with it or she did something that well, if she put up with it, and then that's what the Nagitsune is talking about, like how it's her fault that she didn't tell Scott or she didn't do anything else, and instead she called Stilinski. And also, I think that maybe Styles was quite young, and then he 
when he got older, he realized what he actually overheard or what actually yeah. happened. I mean, and then they're all ang- then like they're all sort of pissed at each other because no one's told Scott. Only thing that I don't agree with myself about is I don't think that his dad would have told Scott that on his dying bed. Yeah, that's the thing. It has to be something vaguely forgivable. It has to be something that's like, you know, because the sheriff was also like, let me do you a favor. Just tell him. Tell him everything you've wanted to. And people keep seeming to put the weight on McCall, not on Melissa. Like, you know, that McCall is the one who has something to say. Uh, Maybe they'll hate Melissa. Maybe Nigitson A thinks Melissa will hate Scott for hiding it. Like, say, he has a secret brother or something. But, you know, maybe they had a kid together and they didn't want it, and so they were like, we just want one child, we're just going to adopt out this other child that we've had together, or, I don't know, that seems completely stupid, but it does seem to be on McCall, so maybe it's, yeah, maybe it's just that Melissa never told Scott that they think the Nagitsune will hate you for, but he does seem to imply that, you know, Melissa called, told the sheriff a thing, and that that would be something they would hate Melissa for, but I don't know. Karen, do you have a theory? Mine actually falls in line with what you were just talking about because I keep thinking about season four and all of the male characters that we keep seeing the new popping boys. up. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of them are going to be kind of put into the supernatural world. And I think it's got a lot of people thinking. But my theory is that maybe, yeah, Agent McCall cheated on Melissa and got somebody else pregnant. And then. Melissa tells the sheriff, doesn't tell Scott that he has a brother, a half-brother, and so, like, McCall leaves to go raise this child or something like that, and Melissa just never tells Scott. I could see Scott being upset that she wouldn't trust him with that information or she didn't want him to know that information. So, and I think the Nagitsune, I mean, it's all about strife and chaos so I can see the Nagitsune kind of making it seem like it's a bigger deal than it actually is like I don't think that Scott would hate his mother forever for that but I do think he would be upset so I don't know that's the most logical thing I can think of I mean uh, I'm starting to agree with that a bit more now and I think that it probably could be Malaya and then they put it up for adoption and then Tay got it because the only thing that we have to justify that Malia could be Peter's daughter is just because Lydia and Allison saw a photo. Like, there's no other evidence to prove that she actually is. So it still could go along the lines of she's, you know, Scott's, like, half-sister. Is next season just going to be, like, Teen Wolf, the next generation, and it's going to be, like, Peter's child and, like, Scott's little brother and, like, all of these things? Like, is I that, hope is that not. What's yeah, I hope not, too. <laughs> like, uh, a lot of people are wondering... Things. Because a lot of freshmen are coming in if they're sort of setting up this whole thing with, like, the next generation. And I'm just not into that. I mean, Glee tried it, and it didn't work out too well. I was about to say that. Glee probably would have worked better if they had extended the seasons longer and finished at the high school. And I feel like that's what Team Wolf should do. And I I don't want them to continue the show just for the fact of continuing the show rather than finishing it off on a high note and leaving it that and leaving it to be a fantastic show at that. Yeah. Rather than continuing it and potentially ruining what it once was. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I that's think that it's brought up before, oh, too. I mean, I think Jeff has said that specifically, that we're trying to keep them in high school for as long as possible. So I really don't think yeah. that's the case. I mean, most of yeah. the seasons, if you look at the timelines of them, I mean, they're not perfect, but they only take place over 
a few weeks. Most seasons will only cover a few weeks of time, if you know what I mean, which obviously the kids are going to age at some point, but, you know, we it took us sort of three seasons to get through, a, you know, a, a year or whatever. Like, a, a, they had um, season one, I think, started halfway through their sophomore year, and, and then season three was the beginning of their junior year. So, like, three seasons over six months. Like, we're doing okay, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's get into the the big part of this episode, which is pretty much the final act of it, because this is really interesting. And I think this is where a lot of questions are popping up as well. Basically, Lydia brings in Peter to help them. And she says that she'll tell him the name of his kid if he helps them, which I think makes sense because Peter wouldn't just help them like there's always got to be something in it for him so that's why he's there but my main question in this part is why didn't she want scott to know she specifically said scott can't know and i didn't understand that part again i think this is what fed my idea that like the mystery was that like malia was in some way the love child of peter and Melissa and like for some and then this is what the big secret was um for some reason I got that into my head which I think is probably wrong um but I don't know it might just be that she doesn't want Scott to know that Lydia helped him in any way or you know is keeping secrets about this child or whatever like this is what made me think that the McCall secret story is tied into the Peter baby story I I just really think it is I don't know why I might be super wrong, but I really think it is. It it kind of feels like we're missing a scene. Like the way they were talking in this episode, and like it feels like us as the audience are meant to know something that we don't, and that's what just the way they were having the conversation. I don't know what it was, and and ended last week episode when it was just flown by mentioned that Malia had already seen Scott, mm-hmm. but we have no idea what that interaction was like. So it feels like we're missing that scene. And the information from that scene is meant to determine what we know about this scene. It just feels like we're missing something here or there. I've gotten that a lot lately, actually. And I don't know if it's disjointed like that on purpose because of, you know, lose your mind. Like, that's the tagline for this whole half of the season. So it kind of makes sense that maybe things are going to be jumping around. But I also think there's just so much information that they have to feed us over a course of 12 episodes, especially in the final few, where I think everything's going to come together and finally make sense. So I hope that we do really get all the answers that, you know, we've been wanting these last few months. Mm. But Peter tells them that they have to go inside Styles' head in order to save them. And I think this was just really cool. And Natalie, you were talking before about how it was shot and everything and how like those two guys make a good duo. And I really loved what they ended up doing inside of Eichenhaus, which is where Lydia and Scott end up when they first enter Styles's head. Mm. And just the flashback with Lydia and everything was so cool. And my question here is what do you guys think that signifies? Are we meant to kind of take something out of that? Like, why do you think she would think about well see it's not even her thinking about that because they're in styles's head why do yeah, you think see, that she's I mean, in that situation specifically I've, I've got many feelings about this because lydia is 
my favorite character. I think that because they're in Styles's head, this was sort of like the first night that Styles really got like close to Lydia in a way that like he took her to the homecoming, and maybe he always sort of thinks about it. So like, I don't know. I think it goes back to the feelings that Styles probably still has for Lydia, and that's why that situation was there. And also to mess with Lydia, like this was when it all sort of went thought... going downhill for her. Yeah, I mean, I thought that it was kind of... First of all, they both woke up in the straitjackets, right? And number one in this situation, if the inside of Styles' head that the Nogitsune is using looks like old-school Eichenhaus, it makes me really wonder again about that Eichenhaus episode and about if every single thing in it was real or if we were seeing some of that from the perspective of Styles trapped through the Nogitsune, if you know what I mean, because I just cannot believe that we're meant to believe that those facilities were real in 2014. But I I don't know. Mm. But so they wake up trapped in there and then they both go out to try and get to Styles, and they're both sort of waylaid by things that, I mean, in Lydia's case, sort of to confuse and upset her, or in Scott's case to try and sink him into his, his weakness. And I feel like they were both kind of, traps by the Nagitsune, like both like he knew they were in there and he was sort of using what was in Styles' head to waylay them. Right. But I think what's really interesting here too is the fact that Lydia sees the bandaged man and he's drawing the kanji for self on the wall. And later Styles comes out of that disguise and it's really him. And so I don't know if that's supposed to be significant or not, because on the flip side of that, you've got Scott making out with Allison in her closet. She's the only person that was in Styles's head other than the people that are already in there, the Nikitsune, Styles, Lydia, and Scott. And I think this just kind of points to Allison once again being sort of shady, and we're not really sure why she would be in there other than the fact that maybe she's a Nagitsune and she's also influencing Styles and is inside his head. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I didn't think about it that way. I kind of took her as like a projection, like a, you know, like not even her, just a, a fantasy. But you, what you're saying that is, is quite truthful and I don't, I don't know. <laughs> If, if, if there is something really wrong with Allison, we're going to have to find out in the next episode because we've only got two more episodes left. Yeah. I feel yeah. like I feel like it's crunch time, guys. I'm scared. Exactly. And it's around this time, like, episodes 9 and 10 are usually the ones where we flip the switch and we figure out, like, okay, who's the alpha from season one or who's going to really be controlling the Kanama now. And it's those episodes where we, and you know, of course who the Jirok really is that happens right around this time. And I feel like we haven't necessarily gotten that yet. I mean, yes, supposedly we have the real styles back now, which is awesome. It's about time, but I feel like, Maybe it's just me waiting for the other shoe to drop with Allison, but I feel like there has to be something else that happens and that maybe it should have happened already. And that's kind of why I was confused why they're like, oh, what's going to happen this episode is going to change the course of the whole series. Well, where is that? Change the course of the the whole series. I I can't. Again, I just. Why? Like, what? Mm -hmm. Like, 
I, am I missing something? Like <sighs> that's what it feels like. It feels like there's something that we haven't seen. That I don't know. Maybe it's like the repercussions of stuff that happens in this episode that will do it. We just don't realize that yet. Mm-hmm. Maybe Styles is like really messed up now. Like we haven't heard. We apparently we've got real Styles back. We haven't heard him talk. Maybe he's like. Maybe he has, like, the effect of, like, a stroke victim or, like, he's regressed or something, like, he can't talk or, like, something, you know, maybe he's... Didn't he say Scott's name? Do you mean inside the head or do you mean once he got out of the bandages? Once he got out. I don't know. Yeah. I can't remember. I think he did. Mm, I don't know. I, I, I can't really see at this point what would be that big a deal. I mean, it's that sounds very dismissive, but I, I, don't, I don't see it. I don't really understand. Can I just say, when they were back in the, being strapped down on the beds in the Icon house in Scott's, in Styles's head, I loved Lydia being to Scott, like, basically it was like the equivalent of, like, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, are you a witch or not? There's no wood, you're a witch, yes. light fire, and I was yeah. like, <laughs> I loved that, it, it made me think of that so much, but, you know, yeah. just, uh, oh. let me get my kicks where I can. <laughs> Good segue because we end up going to the King's Cross station in yeah. the, the afterworld or the between world. I love seeing this place though. I think that it's stark white and it's beautiful in a way and just really like ethereal and mysterious and and it always gets me really excited when we end up in that place. Station. Like it's yeah, it is, but yeah. Yeah. And we see Styles playing a game of go with the Nagitsune. And Scott howls to get Styles' attention, which, by the way, was so awesome when Lydia was like, he's a part of your pack. How do wolves signal their location? I just, I really loved how that sort of has come full circle and that, you know, we're reminded once again that Scott's the alpha and that his pack doesn't necessarily consist of other werewolves. That's just always good to remember. And that's when Styles destroys the game and Lydia and Scott wake up. So do you guys think that game of Go was significant in any way? What What is the aim of Go? I don't know much about it. All I know is it's basically like a really complicated version of chess. Yeah. Yeah. Which is pretty much this whole half of the season. I, <laughs> I think the game was significant in some way. Like, I think that it's got to do with him sort of battling you know, for control, potentially. Uh, and again, it if anyone has seen the Doctor Who, the second of the Doctor Who episodes that Neil Gaiman wrote, uh, Nightmare in Silver, where the Doctor is sort of semi-possessed by a Cyberman, very similar thing happens. Oh, I in, love that episode. You know the one I'm Sorry. talking about? No, it's okay. <laughs> yes, um, I love yeah. that one. It's very similar circumstance in that they are playing a, a mind game with each other to gain control of the person and sort of reminded me of that but you know they were playing on top of the nematon and my whole question is has styles been possessed since drowning like is is when was the thing you know when did the thing get disrupted is it when the nematon physically shook all that stuff under the ground or is it before that, because has Styles been in that? You know, the others came out of the white room. Has did Styles never come out? Ooh, that's a, that's a good question. question. Yeah. <laughs> and the other thing that really confuses me with this is that when Styles comes 
out of the floor, wrapped in the bandages, like, he is that bandaged man. So when they're in the white room, like, the bandaged man doesn't, like, he seems like the bad guy, and the guy who actually looks like Styles seems like the good guy. He's the one that destroys the game and allows everybody to wake up. But how do you, like, uh... switch back? Worth between well the bandaged man is a bad guy well actually it's styles inside well actually i mean I think, you know it it doesn't make sense i think to me. when Sty- i think when styles came out as the bandaged guy he had his mouth still covered in the way that reese did when he was first bandaged up and i think that when the bandaged guy is the nagitsune it has the crazy nagitsune teeth if you know what i mean and i think that they were tr- i think the nagitsune coming out of styles was trying to confuse the people. I don't know why they put him in the bandage man exactly, but I'm pretty sure when it was what we're meant to think is normal styles, uh, it was the bandage man as Reese was originally, as opposed to the, with the Nagitsune silver teeth. But I don't remember which scenes in the episode that the Nagitsune had the silver teeth and which was just bandaged man, if you know what I mean. I really like the idea that that whole thing was just a distraction for Void Styles to escape. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of weird that he would be coming out of his own fit, like, that the real Styles is brand new, if you know what I mean, that the real Styles is not the actual physical body yeah. of the original Styles, or how that even works, or whether it is the real one, and when the you know, Nagitsune took him over, he created a sort of shadow styles around him or whatever. Like, I, I don't even know, but it's weird. It's like, especially what? since he sort of like pukes up like the dark, cloudy, smoky stuff too. Mm-hmm. I would have assumed that that was dispelling the Nagitsune from inside of styles, but yeah. apparently not. And I mean, I'm sure that's what you're meant to think, but it's super weird. It's like, is, is the Styles we're going to live with now for the next however long? Is he, like, technically clone Styles, if you know what I mean? Like, he's he's the right Styles, but he's not the original Styles. Like, the, the original Styles' body is ruined, and now the, you know, Void Styles is, is the original body. I don't really understand. Oh. Oh, this might make sense, though, because remember somebody's supposed to get supernatural powers but not in a normal way? Like, what if he is, like, a clone, and with that, like, he just has these superpowers now? I don't know. I can't. (laughs) It's too much. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Well, okay. So, uh, we get Lydia and Peter talking, and Lydia whispers Malia's name into Peter's ear, and that's when Void Styles wakes up and, and he starts peeking out the bandages. Uh, so obviously Malia is some sort of trigger for something, and I'm assuming, oh, you know what? I was just going to say, I, I'm assuming that it's for Void Styles because that's when he woke up, but that's also when the real Styles kind of escaped the other styles so maybe that doesn't mean malia shady but i still don't God, trust her no i hope I she's not meant to be that. like styles as one true love like that i'm just not interested. like his anchor no no i'm not oh, interested not. in that because yeah, she's a dick so yeah <laughs> sorry but she is i don't like her um, yeah i don't either we need to know more about her we have to know more about her soon i just don't right understand why her dad made that much of a big deal of like you know, getting her back and then put her in a mental hospital, even though she seems fine, like literally fine, except a bit sociopathic. Yeah, I, th- I think her <laughs> and um, Morel 
are in cahoots, I think. I think yeah, that so they're definitely got something going on. <sighs> Bloody mirror. <sighs> Well, end of the episode, Void styles the skates with Lydia, and it sets up what's going to happen in Insatiable, which is next week, and that looks really intense and interesting, but whew, that was that was an episode with a lot of questions and a lot of answers and a lot more questions on top of that, so it was a good episode, I think, but there was a lot of information jam-packed in there, and I, I think I'm still trying to process it. Mm. Oh my god! Okay, apparently, can I just say, the Tumblr girls and what they've seen in the fandom, they always give us a few notes in terms of what some of the popular theories are and stuff like that. And the top one on the list they've put is, like, stuff that's going around the fandom is, is Peter Scott's dad, and in question marks, really, guys? So clearly they are judging the hell out of people who thought that. But sorry, guys, (laughs) I definitely thought that. I didn't really think it, but I'm like, is that what's meant to be going? Is that why she doesn't want to tell Scott? Like, is it that Melissa and Peter had a baby together and that that was... And then, you know, McCall left because, yeah, I definitely got that connection. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but I definitely got that. It's very confusing to me. See, that, it that, definitely that passed through my mind, too. That, that reminds me of um, After the Deathly Hallows Part 2 movie, how so many people thought that Snape, Snape was, was Harry's, Harry's dad. dad. I'm like, this is, this is why you can't make movies. This is why, <laughs> like, yeah, you're making them for people who know the books well and are me- mentally filling in the gaps and who might be appreciating the scenes. Like, oh, yeah, I get, that's so beautiful because, yeah, it's like in the fourth movie, no one who hadn't read the books really understood what the hell was going on with Rita Skeeter because they actually never said that she was, like, an animagus. Oh, yeah. And it was just like, yeah. anyway, yeah. The Harry Potter movies are a problem. But, yeah, yeah, Peter Scott's dad definitely thought it as well. Uh, did not see the notes down the bottom. Definitely thought it myself and was very, very confused by by that. So <laughs> I don't think that that's the answer. I'm, if it is, that's going to be really weird. So wrapping up with some feedback, we have a couple of pieces of feedback from Tumblr. The first one is wait to procrastinate. Love that. That's a great username. And they said, okay, I had a crazy idea. The Nagitsune looks like styles. What if they are connected somehow still because of this? And the only way to stop it is to sacrifice himself like on the Nemeton, hence the divine move. I think this is a great suggestion because it does sort of make sense. But I'm definitely not okay with that. It kind of reminds me of, again, Harry Potter, like, neither can live while the other survives in the prophecy. And how Harry thinks that for Voldemort to die, he'll have to die too, which is technically true. Not that Dumbledore's really helpful in that department. But, um, and like Snape says, what, so you've been, like, raising him like a pig for slaughter or whatever. But, yeah, that's kind of what this theory says to me. Lots of Harry Potter in this episode with King's Cross Station. But, but yeah, like, if it's, like, if, if the evil part and the normal part are connected and one can't die without the other dying, basically. I feel like the show would... The show... I don't think the show can go on without Styles, And it's almost the same way as if Styles was to die... I feel like that would be the exact same thing as him becoming a werewolf. Like, the show would just lose something altogether, mm. and I don't think that they're going to ever kill off Styles or make him a werewolf. Like, I there's think, no way they yeah, can. Yeah, I think with the bite as well, they've made a bit too much of a big deal of it. This, Like, you know, oh, yeah, at, as a solution. I, they've talked about it being a solution too much that it's not going to be the final solution, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah I agree. Um, 
I don't think Styles is going to die. Well, I kind of know that he's not because I know that he's signed on for season four. But, yeah. you know, he's going to be – Dylan O'Brien's going to be on the show in some capacity next season. So there's going to have to be some solution, but are we going to end up with two Styles? Are we going to end up with this, like, random evil Styles that just hangs around? Or are they just going to be two Styles flat out? Like, they get rid of the Nagitsune, but we're left with two Styles bodies, and they're like, so do we kill the spare? Like, I don't really understand what's going on here. (laughs) But it's it's weird. So, yeah, I don't know. That's... That's interesting. And speaking of styles, the next uh, Tumblr feedback we have is from you, M-N-A-A-T-E-F. And they said, guys, remember when Holland said that Thanks Mom was foreshadowing? Well, I think that's it. Styles is actually Melissa's son. I know it sounds crazy, but that would explain why Melissa only needed one tear to crumble. It's her son crying in front of her. Guys, no, I'll stop thought- you right there. Melissa's not white. Styles is very white. He's very, very white. Melissa (laughs) is not white. Any child of hers with a white guy is going to be mixed race. Like, sorry. And I think that was just a testament to Melissa's mothering instinct and how much she cares for Styles as her son, but not actually, no, like a son, but not actually as her son. I mean, I could... As I said, I could believe it the other way, that maybe Melissa and the sheriff had an affair after say it was in the time after Claudia died and and that they had some sort of affair you know hook up whatever weird comfort thing maybe she got pregnant maybe they had another child that is you know they said was McCall's until it was born and then it turned out not to be McCall's and they got rid of it or whatever either she had an abortion um or so that you know she would be the mother of Styles's half sibling or that it's like, you know, someone we haven't seen yet, like one of these new kids or something. But again, I don't think the blame is with Melissa. And also, I don't think Melissa could, if, given the ages of Scott and Styles, I don't think Melissa could be pregnant with Styles in the same time as Scott. If, I don't think they're more than nine months yeah. apart, if you know what I mean. I think they're around the same age. So I do think the baby thing and the McCall family issues thing are connected. I'm so sure of it. But... Uh, like the Peter baby thing, but I don't know. It's the the foreshadowing thing could be just that Sheriff and Melissa are going to get married and that one day she'll be his stepmom and they'll all be a big happy pack family. But I don't know. <laughs> Do you think that I is endgame? Okay Do you that. think that they are going to get married? Mm, I don't know. I don't actually think so. People really ship it and I don't yeah, not. I don't think so. I don't not, but I actually don't see it like really being a part of the show. I feel like it would be too much of a... I feel like to show the development of their relationship and, like, their eventual dating or marriage or whatever would be too much. I feel like it would be too big a plot for the time, for the show to spend time on because they don't usually spend that much time on, like, a personal plot, if you know what I mean. Like, even romances of the kids, it's not actually usually that forefront and I feel like that that would be something that would be great in fan fiction but that the show would never spend that much time on to the point that they would actually be like, oh, we're having a wedding and, and stuff like that. Yeah. And to be honest, that's not even that. I don't, I don't really come to Timur for the romantic side of it as much anyway, so I would, wouldn't want them to spend as much time on that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that 
whatever they end up doing with the sheriff and Melissa, it's going to be really slow and long term because like you said, they don't spend a whole lot of time together right now. And it, it really isn't the focus. I mean, if the teenage romance isn't really a focus, then the adult romance isn't really going to be a focus, even yeah. less so. So I think that it's cool and I like that idea, but if it happens, it's probably not going to happen for a long time and it's going to end up being really slow. Mm. But do you have a non sequitur question for us now? I do. Okay, so this week's non sequitur has come up by a few things I've been thinking about this week. I basically want to know who is your weird quote-unquote celebrity crush. I am not talking about an actual person who – well, an actual person. I'm not talking about a person who is sort of lauded as a celebrity and who is, you know, a poster boy in some way or poster girl in some way of, like, you know, musician, actor, whatever. I'm talking about someone who's in the public eye – who is kind of, who it's kind of weird to have a crush on. For example, I'll go first. I have two. One of them is Ronan Farrow, who is a journalist. He's Mia Farrow's son. He's allegedly Woody Allen's son, but he is actually probably not Woody Allen's real son. It's been claimed that he's Frank Sinatra's real son, Mia Farrow's uh, ex-husband, and he looks exactly like Frank Sinatra. So I think they and he hates Woody Allen, like he hates all that family drama that they have going on. So yeah, I think that he is is probably <laughs> Frank Sinatra's son. But regardless, he's a journalist and a he has a I believe he has a news show now. He's just so gorgeous and he's so funny on Twitter. Like when the allegations about his like parental stuff came out, like he literally did this tweet saying, well, we're all possibly Frank Sinatra's son. And it was just so, he's so funny and he's so cute and I love him. And the other person I have a weird crush on who is not technically like someone who would be on a list of major crushes is Scott Gill, who is not a famous person. He is John Barrowman's husband. And he is famous in terms of that he doesn't mind being in the public eye with John. But he's like an architect. He's not in a celebrity profession. He is so gorgeous. He is so long-suffering. Because can you imagine being married to John Barrowman? He's freaking insane. And he's both extremely physically attractive. He's literally my mental image of Remus Lupin. Like if Remus Lupin was actually a person, Scott Gill is my perfect mental image for Remus Lupin. But he's so cute and long-suffering and funny. And like the stories that John tells about him are hilarious. And the um, you know, I've got both of John's autobiographies, like his books and the way he talks about Scott. I just, I love Scott Gill. I lead a Scott Gill appreciation life. I believe I have tagged things on Tumblr and LiveJournal with that. And I just... I adore him. So those are my weird, like, quote-unquote celebrity crushes that are not actual celebrities. Who wants to go first? Uh, I've got one. Have you got one, Karen? You go first. (laughs) It's a really hard question. I wish you hadn't sprung this on us because I feel like I have so many more, but I can't really think of them. Jack, you go first. I'm trying to, I was trying to think of, like, the most, not most obscure, but ones that aren't, like, like, I could reel off, like, crushes like Ryan Reynolds, Mark Salling. I could like name a lot of like guys I think are really attractive. But I think the ones that I have crushes on that don't always come up but I get really excited for is the artists Tegan and Sarah. Yeah. I'm not like obs- overly obsessed, 
But whenever, like, I see them on TV, whenever a song comes on, like, especially a lot of the older stuff, I get really, really excited. And in a different way that I get excited when I hear, like, Group Love, which is my second favorite band of all time, or, like, Queen, or Linkin Park, or John Still Singers, like, I just get really excited, and I'm, like, I just get really into, like, their music, the meanings behind their lyrics, and... I don't know. I don't even really know what it is. It's just something about Tegan and Sarah. Whenever I see them, I just get really pumped up and really, really, like happy. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Um, <laughs> okay. As, as, How about you, Karen? Have you got any any sort of strange crushes that are maybe not a t- typical celebrity? Um. Well, I don't know if it's not necessarily a typical celebrity, but it is kind of strange in the fact that a lot of the actors that I tend to have a crush on are quite a bit older and like I find Robert Downey Jr. so attractive and I just think he's amazing especially in the Iron Man movies but not my big crush, one Karen that's not a weird crush well no, no I know but my other one is Sean Connery <laughs> and not but not when he was young I actually don't think he was attractive when he was young but when he actually has like white hair and a beard <laughs> i just I, it's sean connery oh you got it. i just i don't know but i also have to mention i have a girl crush too too because i think natalie portman is one of the most beautiful women on the face of this planet and i feel like she doesn't get a lot of attention and i just really enjoy all of the movies that she's in but she is just stunningly gorgeous you feel like she doesn't get a lot of attention i don't like even though she's in thor i think she did a few years ago like i think she was maybe more of a poster girl a few years ago but she definitely was a big thing like maybe she's less of a big thing now and i just haven't caught up i think you see maybe because i think yeah, well, I feel like everybody that I talk to about her, like, they don't know who she is. And I first saw her what? in V for Vendetta. Yeah, that's – I was like, how do you not know who she is? That No, that's weird. You know weird people. Like, that's, that's – <laughs> that's – no, because that's insane. Like, she's really famous. That's I, – I, I want to meet these people you know who don't know who Natalie Portman is. I want to live in this world. They clearly have much better things. <laughs> think about than celebrities because she's famous like but yeah no she's I mean I I don't know what I would have I think I probably first knew her in oh like I've seen a lot of her early movies like where the heart is and like she was in star she was in the the original not the original the episode one star wars like she was princess Amidala and that when she was quite young and I don't know it's that's that's strange to me that P I guess Again, because I've always known who she is. Maybe time has passed and the new generation of people don't know Natalie Portman. Because you said that and I'm like, that's not obscure at all. Like, you guys are making me feel weird having crushes on, like, some (laughs) celebrity's husband and a journalist. Both of the people that you're talking about are, like, actual celebrities. They're just not the most normal crush-worthy or whatever. But, But, yeah, no, Natalie Portman was... I remember her sort of being cast in the Star Wars prequel, not that I even like Star Wars, but yeah, she's certainly famous. I've seen so many of her movies, so I don't know, maybe the new generation of fandom people only know her from Thor, and because Jane isn't like the most glamorous, sexy lady, she doesn't get that much attention? I don't know. 
Well, see, that's the thing. Like, the people that I know that don't really know who she is are either my age or older. Like, they're not – and granted, they're not really, like, fandom people. They're just regular uh, sort of, like, casual viewers of things. But they just, like, yeah, they had no idea. I was like, she's V from V from Vendetta. She's Evie. Like, how do you not know who she is? But She's won an yeah. Academy Award. She's she's won an Oscar for Black Swan, so and she was nominated for Closer, and so and she won like a Golden Globe for Black Swan as well. So I find that like I think that with like fandom stuff, she's not been in that much except Thor, if you know what I mean. But she's I thought she was such a well known general actress for like uh you know all of the random sort of arty movies that she's been in like Closer and Garden State and V for Vendetta. Yeah. Even. Well, like I don't know, uh, maybe maybe I'm, it's. That's strange to Maybe me. Maybe it's just the people I know then. <laughs> no. That's yeah. But yeah, she she is also she can rap. She's, what? She's well known on the internet uh for rap. She's a really good rapper. Um I've she did it on that. she did it on SNL and she's legitimately yeah. a really good rapper. Um Okay, I need to find this. You know how I feel about rapping. Yeah, so she's really cool. So she's a good person to like, but I find it incredible that there's people that don't know about Natalie Portman that's like she isn't an underground person as far as I know like as I said maybe it's because I knew her and then time passed and then people caught up with things in a different way but oh well yeah Uh, I always thought she was a big deal but then people kept telling me they didn't know who she was so I I've kind of had to like change that outlook but I'm glad I'm not the crazy one no you're not you're not the crazy one so None of you have, like, weird crushes on, like, video bloggers or, like, you know, any celebrities' wives or anything. I'm just the weird – oh, my my other big one is I consider it a celebrity and I am in a fandom that considers it a celebrity, but I feel like to the general world it's it's not that normal. Um, Nick Grimshaw, who's the host of the Radio 1 Breakfast Show in the <laughs> UK, he's a celebrity in the UK. It's not weird. But, like, to the general population of America who's listening to this show – uh, they would probably think that that was not the most uh, normal celebrity pinup person, but he definitely is in terms of the UK media, so it's not that weird, I guess. Uh, I just don't know a lot of, like, the smaller, more specific people, I guess, like the the indie people and that sort of thing. I tend not- to stay pretty... That's the thing. It's not. Uh, that's. It's not about being indie. It's about you being a weirdo, which everyone kind of is. Um, in terms of like, oh, I have a crush on that guy from that commercial or something. Like, oh, I'm obsessed with. Like when I was like 13, I had a really, cr- a really big crush on the guy from the Bombfunk MC's freestyler video, which is going to be <laughs> too old for either of you to remember. But oh, I know. I know. Um, and I, yeah, so we, I I mean, like, really weird stuff, so I feel really weird now, because you guys just have normal, sort of, lesser-known celebrities, and I, I have, like... I always thought the Old Spice guy was super attractive. (laughs) I did not understand the Old Spice phenomenon for, like, so long, and then I saw some of the ads, and now I understand why it's funny, so... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I cannot say Old Spice is, like, a perfume that we really use over here or whatever, like, that it's not one that – I think it's a big American brand that is not really something that's, like, a household name here. So, yeah. 
I guess on that note, we should we should close up. Um, seeing as I'm the only freak with crushes on famous people's husbands and stuff, I also love I also love Justin Makita, who is the husband of Jesse Tyler Ferguson. He is I follow him on Twitter, and he's so funny and he's so cute, and I adore him. So I'm the weirdo that apparently likes all of these people that are not celebrities. And oh well, what can you do? Um, but we'll uh, we'll leave you off here for this week, I guess, um, and say thank you to Jack, who has to go off to uni now. Um, and, yeah, we will see you next week for Season 3, Episode 23, Insatiable. Uh, Donya, our teammate Donya, will be joining us for our final celebrity guest host of the season before the finale, which will be our listener guest host episode if you guys want to enter the competition for that, the contest will close this Friday for entries and then we'll be doing public voting on who you guys should think will be the best person to have on. Uh, anonymous voting, basically. We'll take some quotes from your applications and we'll put them up just numbered uh, 1 to 5 or 1 to 10, however many applicants we decide on, and then the public shall decide through merit alone, who should be the guest on the show. So, Karen, are you looking forward to that? I really am. I mean, we've had tons of luck before with just pulling listeners who wanted to be on the show and seeing how they would do, and they've all been fantastic. So I think now that we have a larger pool to grab from, it's going to be even better, and I'm really excited to see what people write about. We've got quite a few entries so far. But, yeah, feel free to get those in, and then we will uh, make our choices in terms of a a short list, which you guys can then vote on. And and please don't cheat in terms of, like, secretly telling everyone who you are and getting them to vote for you if that's, you know, a kind of crazy thing you do. That's something we are really trying to avoid. And so in the spirit of merit alone, we will try and select the the best person based on the votes. So, yeah get your entries in and and it won't be your last chance we'll always have listener episodes so don't feel too rejected if you're not the the number one top person because we are picking out of a lot and at the end of the day it's not even our our choice we you will have lots of chances in future to to join us um you know at least once a season um and i'm sure that we'll have some special episodes if you have a specialty subject that is like you you are like our guests this season like you know, Jen with Japanese history and all of that kind of thing. If you have a specialty subject and you think that you could talk to us or teach us about some aspect of mythology or some aspect of the show in, say, a bite-sized episode in the hiatus, please feel free to get in touch and pitch an episode to us that you might like to come on and teach us about something. Uh, I don't have anything particular in mind, but Karen, do you think that that would be something that would work? That would be amazing. I mean, I'm already thinking about what we can do over the hiatus, and I definitely have some ideas and some guests lined up already, but if we could do something like that anytime that we can interact with the people that listen to us, because a lot of times it's just us talking to each other and then you guys hear that. We don't necessarily always get to talk with you guys, so if that ever happens, I would be totally down for that. I think that sounds amazing. Yeah, please feel free, if you're an expert on something vaguely relevant to the show, to pitch us uh, a bite size that we can chat to you about, and that would be awesome. So in the meantime, you know, look forward to next week's episode and then the finale episode with our guest listener, and we'll say a big thank you to Jack for coming on. 
so yeah, thank, thank you, you jack thank yeah. you and um and i guess everyone can say bye now and we'll go so bye-bye jack and bye-bye karen bye bye you're not just a girl you're more like the air and sea i want you so desperately you know or I mean I I don't know like what did you think about that Karen I'm so sorry what did you ask